listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 274. I'm your host, András Pinter, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Pontus Böckmann. See ya! Hey, son, hey, son! What? What? Just the two of us. Yeah. I think the reason why we are just the two of us is is quite good. Mm-hmm. Because Annika just got her Pfizer shot yes. yesterday, I think. That is good, but the, she it doesn't feel too good at the moment. Yeah, but that, that will pass. <laughs> but yes. she yeah. decided to to take this day off and uh, I think that was very sensible, yes. I, I think that's quite reasonable, yeah. So uh Onika. Yeah. We are expecting you back for the next episode. And I'm pretty sure that our listeners uh, are as well. So, yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, yes. And and she, uh, I mean, she she will be fine probably by tomorrow. So it's just... Yeah, that's uh, right. That's right. She just got her first shot. So that's... that's How, how's your vaccination coming? Uh, slowly, slowly, slowly. Yeah. So yeah. we're not moving ahead as fast as I would want to in, in Sweden. Mm-hmm. I will, uh, since I'm now so old, <laughs> I, I fit into the group between 50 and 59. And uh, that means that uh, they have started with that group. They started a little bit with uh, if you're in a risk group or something. But in a week or two or three, I'll probably get my first shot. Mm -hmm. Can't wait. You know, if things go well here in Hungary, by the end of May, we might be able to reach half the population uh, having received their first shot. Mm -hmm. And everyone who lives in Hungary from my family has now been vaccinated with at least one shot. Ah, that's good. And uh, my parents got both their shots. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to different vaccines, we spread all over the place. Like uh, (laughs) my parents, one of them got the Moderna, the other one the Pfizer. Uh, My elder sister got the Sputnik. Uh Her daughter got the Sputnik and I got the Astra. (laughs) Okay. So quite spread out. (laughs) So it's sort of testing. It's a buffet of vaccines It's a buffet, yeah. (laughs) That's a good one. <laughs> okay. Good, 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 good. We have uh, other things to talk about as well, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got a very nice letter from uh, Carlo in Italy, and he, of course, corrected my <laughs> terrible pronunciation of the cardinal that we to- I've talked about for a couple of times now, and I think he will come back, so I'll better practice. He sent us this sound file so you can hear exactly what I was supposed to have said when I pronounced that name. Hi guys, since you asked it, the correct pronunciation in Italian for the name of the cardinal is not Becchio, but it's Giovanni Angelo Becciu. Becciu. There you go, Becciu. I bet you I will make make a mess out of it next time too, but I will try. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, when I was doing the editing, I got confused at times when you called his name because it sounded very harsh, very hard. And I I thought I was hearing Bucky, Bucky Peculiar or something like that. So so much for breaking down language barriers. But we, we're trying. We're doing our best <laughs> and we're learning. And this new idea that people can send us their corrections on our pronunciations, I do like it very much. Please, if you hear us say something else stupid, which is very likely, please do that and, and let us uh, play that on, on the show. So everybody gets uh, more educated in how to use those languages. And uh, going forward, I think we should name it P A P or PAP, 
pronunciation aid project. <laughs> okay, good. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> anyone listening, please get involved with PAP. Yeah, so, so it'll be Pontus Pokes the PAP in the, the, in PAP. the future. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good. <laughs> All right. There you go. <laughs> we'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> I promise. Right. But before that, I think it's time for us to talk about what happened this week in skepticism. I mean, yeah, it's usually something that Onika does, and quite well, I think. But uh, since she's not here today, you're just going to have to do with me. <laughs> so, there are there are two very close anniversaries, actually. One of them is uh, the birthday of Edward Jenner, but it won't happen before the next week, which is according to the new calendar that was introduced quite late in England. Jenner is the one who came up with the, the word vaccine and he administered the first actual vaccination that we know of and the day that it happened was the 14th of may yeah in 1796 1796 yes that was quite a long time ago mm-hmm. and uh the vaccine got into the body of james phipps an eight-year-old boy and by today's standards, <laughs> that was an absolutely unlawful and unethical experiment on a child, of course. on a poor child. But the, the reason that uh, Jenna did that, Jenna was working as a doctor and uh, he realized that uh, smallpox, that was quite a devastating disease that was decimating not only most of Europe in the 18th century, but most of the colonies as well. And the places where colonies were introduced in uh, the American continent, mostly, where it decimated Native Americans. And when I say decimated, that means that some 90% of the native population of the Americas died as a result of the introduction of smallpox. So that was a terrible disease. And even in Europe, in the 18th century, it cost about 400,000 lives a year. One in three people who got the disease died, and when it came to children, eight out of ten were casualties. So that was something that Jenner wanted to do something about as a doctor. And he wanted to test his theory that was based on an already existing habit of a method that was called inoculation. So inoculation was done by folks people around the area and um, they knew that um, the disease was transmitted through coughing and bodily fluids and some surfaces as well like bedclothes or or things like that so they had this slight idea of how it could be avoided but it was highly contagious so what some folks people came up with as an idea it's quite similar to something like homeopathy actually that if you rub the pus from the lesions the skin lesions that's quite disgusting actually uh if, if you rub that pus on the skin of the people or into the skin they somehow get a kind of immunity i mean that word was not used but they could not contract the disease afterwards as a result that was called inoculation they scratched under the skin just under the top layer they did it with those blisters that came as a result of smallpox and in some cases it still resulted in death yeah it was risky it was risky but the numbers were quite good so 
Usually, it resulted in a mild disease or a serious one, and around 1 in 500 people died as a result. But the problem was that they were still carriers and infectious to other people who could potentially die oh. if, if got infected. So, Jenner wanted to solve this issue, and he learned from another thing that was going around, and that was something called cowpox. And cows developed a similar disease to smallpox. Now we know today's science already knows that that it's a, a virus very similar to the two variants of the variola virus that caused uh, smallpox. And um, they knew that some people, potentially by getting in contact with the cowpox and uh, getting a disease that was not that severe, they somehow didn't get smallpox. There are lots of stories of milkmaids. Mm-hmm. I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, that uh, develop that kind of immunity. And the cowpox pus that came from the blister that developed on a milkmaid was used by Jenner to inoculate poor little James Phipps. Mm -hmm. So it is, by some scholars, it is considered a myth that the birth of the idea was related to all those milkmaids and... Uh, one of the reasons might have been that uh, those milkmaids were very beautiful and their skins did not have the marks of the scars from the disease. Mm. Because whoever got the disease, if they got the blisters of their faces, it was still very, very ugly as a result because it was full of scars for the rest of their lives. Some people even committed suicide as a result because they just couldn't bear the ugliness of their faces apparently yes especially women of uh, noble origins right were affected by that so no matter how he came across the idea but the idea came around and he wanted to test his theory and first what he did with uh, james phipps was he scratched the surface of his skin in the arm and uh, put the pus from the cowpox in it. And the little boy developed a mild thing like fever and, and rash and things, but not very serious. And a couple of weeks later, I think it was weeks, he was inoculated with the smallpox, just as any other people would be with the practice of inoculation. And nothing happened. And then a couple of weeks later... He tested it again, and it turned out that poor little James Phipps could not be infected with the smallpox virus. The variol- no, no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't get sick. No, he tried very hard. <laughs> and then he presented a theory, but that was dismissed offhand at first. And then he came up with a couple of other examples, and he, he did it with a couple of other children, including his own. And then later on, it got accepted by the professional bodies but not really the public. The public didn't really understand what was going on. And some doctors didn't trust him. So it was a perfect case, a perfect example of how misinformation campaigns are happening. And people who don't trust the system, they want to dismiss it and they, they come up with all sorts of ideas. And um, there were cartoons circulating at the beginning of the 1800s that showed people with cow heads growing out of their faces as a result of this cowpox inoculation. Yeah. But he went on saving probably millions of lives as he distributed the vaccines, the idea and the technique and how you develop the cowpox vaccine. And 
The reason he called it vaccines is because the Latin word for cow is vacca. That is where the word comes from. Right. So this is how vaccination came about. Yeah. And he had no freaking idea because that was long before the germ theory of disease. Yeah, so he so, didn't know why it worked. He just no, saw that it worked. No, um, exactly, yeah. exactly. And and exactly. there was a lot of vaccine hesitancy already then and a lot of myths and stuff. Yes, uh, that's and, right. But there was also, I was reading about this uh, earlier today because I was curious. And uh, since I normally focus on the Pope and some of the Popes, <laughs> their names came up. And quite a few of the Popes in their early 1800s was actually good vaccination proponents. They they were actually encouraging this. And, and Pius VII even created a small uh, monetary uh, award for people who agreed to get vaccinated. Yeah. Then there was a few, uh, well, at least one uh, Pope that was very anti-vax. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that helped. If, if the Pope is behind something, or yeah. especially at that time, then uh, that uh, helped. It spread across Europe and it, it went on to the court of the Spanish king. And as a result, it went on to the colonies as well. And it was spread all, all across the world. But some of the clergymen all across Europe and in the, in the world, they were vehemently against it. Mm. And they called it ungodly because they claimed that it was introducing some material into the human body that came from a dead animal. Mm. And that was ungodly and unholy and all that shit. And also, I think the sentiment was a little bit that you were playing God. If God gave you the disease, who are you to, to say you shouldn't have it? Yeah. It was yeah, yeah. in God's hands anyway. So, yeah. But if you take that approach to the extreme, then of course you don't do anything to protect yourself from anything. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, and it has all sorts of of different implications in terms of how diseases develop and how your skin is your first line of defense. And one of the reasons for that is because if it's a very superficial scratch and you introduce it through that instead of your lungs, your your mouth, which is much more of an open area for infectious agents, your immune system has a better chance of fighting it off mm. yeah. by the time it reaches your circulation system and all that. So pretty good. He had no idea what he was doing, but he did a very good job. <laughs> well, it led to what we know now. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is how science works. So yeah, the first administration of a vaccine happened on the 14th of May, 1796. So this is what happened this week in skepticism. All right. But with that behind us, I think it's time for us to see what you have to poke the Pope for. Right. Okay. So a little bit of a warning here. I'm going to talk about, uh, well, I'm going to rant a bit against religion. So bear with me. <laughs> it's been a while since I talked about Francis' obsession with the Holy Rosary. You remember we talked about that, maybe it's more than a year ago now. Yeah, yeah. But the rosary, of course, is a set of prayers. And it's also the name of the string of knots or beads that you use to keep track of how far you've come and reciting the prayers. Because I, I imagine it's really monotonous to go through all of that. Traditionally, you start the rosary with the Lord's Prayer before you then do 10 Hail Marys. And then you finish with one Glory Be. And sometimes you stick in an Oh My Jesus prayer in before the glory be, just for good luck. Where do, where do you put Oh My Fucking God? Uh, 
<laughs> fucking is not part of this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Too bad. So all of that, you do the 10 uh, Hail Marys surrounded by some others. That's called a decade because of it's 10. Mm-hmm. The decade means 10. So 10 Hail Marys. But then a full rosary is that you do this five times. So five decades becomes one uh, rosary. So uh, that takes a long. And I think there are variants where you do even more. But the full rosary is between 60 or 70 prayers when you count it all. And and Francis loves his rosaries because, uh, yeah, well, that's what he does. And um, he this is why he made sure also that there is an app for this, which I mentioned before, yes. to help you keep track of this instead of uh, doing the knots and the beads and the stuff. Uh, so, boy, do we need that app because now, during May, he's taking it to the next level. Already on 1st of May he started, uh, and he started off a worldwide rosary marathon <laughs> to end the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay. And this marathon is now ongoing uh, and we'll uh, continue for the full month ending on 31st of May. And I bring this up just because I don't understand the logic behind it. Because if you, let's say you are God and then you decide then for some reason that we don't know to let this plague wreak havoc all over the world and you won't end it until enough people have mumbled the same phrases thousands and thousands of times just to prove to you that they submit themselves fully to you. Is is that really how it's supposed to work? And and do they believe that the COVID-19 pandemic will stop due to this marathon? Apparently they do because Francis says that's what they're doing. They're doing this to stop the pandemic. It's, so if you believe that, uh, I'm, I'm sort of reminded of what we talked about uh, last week after we've had the quote and we mentioned Stephen Fry's conclusion. <laughs> and I want to say the same thing. How dare you, God? If this is true, how dare you be so petty and mean and capricious? You put this plague here, or at least you don't stop it until people really uh, humiliate themselves by doing this very, very... <laughs> Hard work, which leads to nothing else than just your satisfaction. Yep. And, and you know what? This will actually work as well, this marathon. Uh, because sooner or later, this pandemic will be over. Some way, good or bad, we don't know. But it will be sort of over. And millions of people will point to this and say, see, it worked. Because now it's over. So it must have worked. So it's like, it's like the, that rock that keeps the tigers away. Because, you know, they, they said, well, there are no tigers here. Mm. Yeah. So it's working. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, a long rant against religion again. But this is why I keep poking the Pope. He may be, he appears to be a nice guy deep down. I think he is. And he's certainly not stupid. He's smart. Mm-hmm. But but this is so nonsensical anyway. And, and smart people can and do believe in stupid things. And this is so nonsensical. And it's such a waste of time and effort. Think of all the resources going into religion and if you took that and what could be achieved if it went into something more useful mm-hmm. yeah yeah and god you're you're quite right and i agree with uh, stephen fry as well and all the others including the late christopher hitchens yeah that god must be a perv so <laughs> yeah the monologue from the devil's advocate do you remember that not by heart please remind us al pacino's monologue no i'm i'm not gonna repeat oh, it oh okay but yeah, yeah, yeah you will have to look it up it's amazing i think it's one of the greatest monologues 
ever written into a movie. And uh, he hits the nail on the head. Yeah, all right. So this is what it's like when Pontus spoke to the Pope. <laughs> Good. And we're moving on again. And instead of uh, giving you a COVID update, because I'm pretty sure that by now everyone is full of it, <laughs> but we are having a, a different kind of problem these days, right? In some countries, well, Sweden is unfortunately one of the exceptions, but in some countries there is a greater problem uh, of uh, vaccine hesitancy than the lack of supply of vaccines. So even if you live in a country where there is still a lack of supply, the time will come when the problem will be vaccine hesitancy and you want to be prepared for that because you want to try to persuade your friends to take the vaccine because that's probably our only chance to control it to some level. And this is why, instead of giving you an update, I would like all of you to go and watch the latest episode of The Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Ah. And why I'm saying that is because it gives you ammunition for your persuasion efforts. Uh, it goes into the important elements of the current crisis of, of vaccine hesitancy, actually. It tries to give you a general understanding of how bad the situation is and why some people find it scary. For example, that it, it got out very fast and they claim that it could not have been developed in accordance with the, the rules of science and, and how this should be done. And it gives you quite a good account of, of all that. It also talks about how vaccine deniers, politicians and news commentators exploit these kinds of fears. It mostly focuses on the US, but it's still a good example. And if you consider the fact that in some of the countries, the anti-vax activists use the examples coming from the US, I think it's a good point to start. And it explains the caution of health authorities and why some things were considered much more carefully, like uh, what happened with AstraZeneca and the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And it goes into how many things we don't know about the vaccine. So it's quite honest. And I found it very well researched as well. So good job. And also, of course, it goes into the, the popular myth um, sur surrounding the vaccines, like uh, how it leads to infertility, which is not true, and uh, how we get microchipped <laughs> by uh, Bill Gates, of course, who else, who has nothing else to, to do right now since uh, he's not in the middle of his divorce <laughs> to take care of. And it goes on saying, you are the one who can make the difference. Because people who are already hesitant or against vaccinations will definitely not watch this video. <laughs> right. But if you use some of the information that was shared on the video and talk to your friends about them and try to understand their point of view and their fears and all that and tell them what you know about it, I mean, in a calm, not necessarily highly confrontative way, you might get somewhere with them. And this video, I think, will definitely be able to help. So go on and watch it. That's my COVID update for this week. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> okay, I have, uh, of course, more COVID-19 news. And this is, um, mm. it's bad news. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
It seems that criminals are getting more skilled in producing and selling falsified COVID-19 certificates. We've, uh, I mentioned before there was a Swedish clinic that actually issued the certificates without doing any tests. That was bad enough. But Europol is now issuing a warning about falsified uh, COVID-19 certificates. And a Swedish doctor, actually here in Malmö, where I live, has discovered that someone has managed to issue a false COVID certificate that appears to be digitally signed by him, even though the person has never been registered with his clinic. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, this was found out when a man tried to board a Qatar air flight at Copenhagen airport. Uh, with a false certificate. And Qatar Air now requires all passengers to present a negative PCR test before boarding. But but for some reason, they were suspicious about this man and they decided to check with the clinic. So they contacted the clinic and it turns out the man has never been there. They don't know exactly how this has happened this time, Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. this man himself managed to, to falsify things. But as I said, Europol is warning that criminals are selling these falsified certificates for around uh, 300 euros seems to be the going rate at the moment (laughs) wow (sighs) no these are the moments when i lose every last bit of hope in humankind (laughs) yeah that i had (laughs) nothing is so bad uh, that there's not people trying to make a buck on it yeah Uh, Oh, my God. Terrible. Okay, a little bit of positive news here. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable that it's already that time of the year when the Heinz Oberhumer Awards are announced. The award ceremony will take place on the 24th of November in Vienna uh, City Hall. So for for those who don't know what the Heinz Oberhumer Award is, first of all, Heinz Oberhumer was an Austrian uh, theoretical physicist and very famous science communicator as well. And the award is given out by the science communication group that's called Science Busters. And Science Busters awarded a couple of internationally known and um, quite popular people as well, including James Randi himself. But um, last year, it was Mai Ting Guyan Kim, a German uh, science communicator, but she couldn't get the award itself because of the pandemic so they will um do on the 24th of november a joint award ceremony for 2020 and 2021 as well right and uh this year the winners are the ndr info journalist of uh, the podcast that's called coronavirus update and those people are corinna henning katarina marnholtz and becca schulman a virologist by the name Christian Drosten and a virologist as well whose name is Sandra Ciesek. Please forgive me if I butchered any <laughs> Send us names. your sound files. <laughs> <laughs> but we are happy to accept your sound files. Exactly. So yes, and um, the Coronavirus Update is a podcast that provides listeners with scientifically accurate and sound information on the latest on the COVID-19 pandemic. And the good news for them is that the award comes with a 20,000 euro money prize as well. 20,000? 20,000 euros. And a glass of alpaca droppings. The the reason for that is that (laughs) Heinz Oberhumer himself was very fond of alpacas. (laughs) So this is how it happens. So congratulations to the crew of uh, the Coronavirus Update podcast. Oh, by the way, NDR 
where this podcast is hosted is a German television, radio channel and news outlet that is quite well known. And um, it has several different branches as well. Um, Some of them is a lot of podcasts that they produce. Uh, One of them is Coronavirus Update, which is uh, because of what I just mentioned in German. So uh, for those those of you who want to listen to it, uh, you will have to learn your German first. (laughs) And... uh, well, hope that in November they will be able to hold the award ceremony because by that time the pandemic will be behind us or most of it will be behind us. But there are doubts about that, but uh, we will see. Okay, next one in fake news news. Fake news news. (laughs) (laughs) This is a bit of a fun one uh, because of how it was announced. Facebook is going to test something that... uh, to me, sounds like a no-brainer and I think should have been in place for a long time. But uh, the fun thing is that they announced this news on Twitter. Okay. So I don't know why Facebook announces things on Twitter, but okay, good. So, but what they've announced on Twitter is uh, that Facebook is going to test something that Twitter started to experiment themselves last year. And that is to warn people if they are about to share a link that hasn't been opened. Uh, some people say that it's annoying because maybe you have read this news on another app, so you get the warning even though you did read it. But that doesn't, I don't think that's very common to me. So I, I don't see the problem there. And of course, you will still be able to just press continue sharing even if you haven't read it. So it doesn't stop you from doing anything, it's just one extra click. Uh, but I think it could be a good reminder for, for people to think twice. So uh, we know a lot of people. And it, I mean, if you be honest, sometimes I have. I don't want to do that. But sometimes without thinking, I have reposted something without reading it first. And uh, you shouldn't do that. Don't do that, people. I think, though, that the real reason that Facebook is so hesitant to introduce this change It's because they, of course, want people to share as much as possible all the time. It's about driving traffic. So they are going to do this very slowly, testing it apparently only for about 6% of Android users first. And I don't know how long the tests will will go on. 6% of Android users, that that sounds low, of course, but since they have a gazillion users, 6% is probably quite a lot of people anyway. I think we've seen this before especially with Facebook, that they are very slow to take responsibility of of what people are sharing on their platform. They're always looking for more traffic and um, they don't want to encourage less usage of their platform and i understand it they're there to to get clicks and to uh, because they, they they can sell more advertising etc mm. but it's upon time that they start to do something like this yeah i agree facebook is doesn't doesn't appear to me as um very quick in their responses to the spreading of misinformation i mean they really consider it well and take their time yeah <laughs> in responding to that Mm. They they take any excuse to not do anything until people yes. force them to. Yes, well. But there are other actors that do things differently. And one of them is uh, the Good Thinking Society, the UK charity uh, led by uh, Michael Marshall. And uh, 
apparently there is another big win out there for them because a couple of months ago, I think it was uh, sometime in the middle of last year, that they uh, made a complaint to the Advertising Standards Authority in the UK about an advertisement of some homeopathic treatment. And the advertisement went as, quote, homeopathy is used throughout the world to keep healthy people in the UK. Blah, 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 blah. People in the UK have been using it to successfully help with migraine, anxiety, chronic pain, women's health issues, depression, eczema, chronic fatigue, asthma, IBS, rheumatoid arthritis, and many other conditions, end quote. So the Good Thinking Society filed two complaints. First of all, according to them, the ad discourages essential treatment for conditions for which medical supervision should be sought, namely migraines, chronic pain, women's health issues, depression, asthma, rheumatoid arthritis, etc. That was the first complaint. And the Advertising Standards Authority just uh, published a couple of days ago their latest assessment of the complaint, and they upheld it. Just as the other complaint that went... The claim people in the UK have been using homeopathy to successfully help with anxiety, chronic pain, eczema, chronic fatigue syndrome, IBS, was misleading and could be substantiated. I have issues with the word successfully. Please define that. Yes, that's right. And exactly how the complaint was upheld by the the Advertising Standards Authority as well. Because they found that on both accounts, they breached several of the CAP codes. The CAP codes are the Code of Non-Broadcast Advertising and Direct and Promotional Marketing. (laughs) So uh, there is a rule book that was published by the Advertising Standards Authority. And that is considered quite a strong authority because they're not only advising market actors, but also applying restrictions. And this is what happened. Because at the end of their assessment, they are called for an action. And the action is that they require from Homeopathy UK is that, quote, the ad must not appear again in the form complained about. We told Homeopathy UK to ensure their future marketing communications did not refer to conditions for which advice should be sought from suitably qualified health professionals. We also told them to ensure they did not make claims for homeopathy unless they were supported with robust evidence. (laughs) That means not. Exactly. Because there are no... So the Advertising Standards Authority basically acknowledged that homeopaths are not suitably qualified health professionals which is amazing <laughs> right and the other thing is that they acknowledged that homeopathy is not supported by robust scientific evidence so uh yeah i think this is a big win for the good thinking society again a big win for the uk healthcare system and yeah homeopaths just don't use misleading advertisements because this is what happens as a result yeah. Mm. <laughs> Problem is they believe it. They believe it works. Yes. A lot of them do anyway. Yeah, but we've seen and we've also reported on a couple of very conscious misleading actions yeah. from homeopath. You remember the, the one who did the training? That's right. For how to cheat the system? Yes. Yeah. I think that woman got a, got a really wrong, didn't she? <laughs> she did. She did. <laughs> okay. but, but still, again, I think she believes that she she justifies her cheating with that she knows, quote-unquote, that homeopathy works. The problem is that you have never shown it to work, 
and there's no plausible mechanism for it to work. So we are not convinced, mm. to put it mildly. Yeah. All right. That is basically all that we want to report from what happened last week. And that means that we need to find out who's been really wrong or really right lately. Okay, so I have already ranted about the Pope and the Catholic Church today, so now I'm going to turn things around a bit. Because today we will have a Catholic really right and not a really wrong. That's interesting, right? So we've mentioned a couple of weeks ago how the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, uh, formerly known, of course, as the Inquisition, they issued a letter, uh, a bit out of the blue, it appeared, about how the Catholic Church cannot and should not bless the union of gay couples. And Francis had supported that letter. No marriages for gay people! Exclamation point. It now seems that we know a little bit more about this proclamation and why it came out of the Vatican just now. About a year and a half ago, the German Catholic Church initiated a two-year German bishops' conference, uh, or a synodal path, which uh, will conclude this autumn. And the purpose of this uh, synodal path is to lay out the direction for the Catholic Church in Germany and if, or how much, they should adapt to modern times. And, well, I think they should, but okay. Uh, there are many topics of them for them to discuss, I gather. But among them is an initiative called Liebe gewinnt uh, in German, oh, uh, which translates into love wins. <gasps> so this initiative is a push for Catholics in Germany to be more inclusive of the LGBTQ community, including gay marriages. I, I guess... Time has not yet come for polyamorous marriages for the Catholic Church, but maybe one day, maybe. <laughs> so this is a push for, for blessing of same-sex unions, and it comes mainly from a powerful Catholic lay organization, not a gay organization, it's a lay organization, called, quote, the Central Committee of German Catholics, or the ZDK. Uh, I don't know what the German translation is there. And they have been, this organization has been advocating for gay blessings since 2015. But powerful bishops in the German Bishops' Conference are very much against this and they want to enforce the, the status quo. Now, so we don't know exactly for sure, but it seems very likely that the German conference turned to the Vatican and said, hey, help us out over here. We have this problem and they want to argue for this and we want your support. And so that the letter came out from the CDF, from the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, as a response to that cry for help, if you will. But now, finally, we'll get to the good part and the really right. About a hundred churches last week, local Catholic priests did something good. They, in direct defiance of the bishops and of the Pope himself, they conducted blessings of same-sex unions. One of the priests involved in this in Berlin is called uh, Jan Korditschke, and he said, quote, I stand behind what I'm doing, uh, though it's painful for me that I cannot do it in tune with the church leadership. And then he added, the homophobia in my church makes me angry and I am ashamed of it. Good for him. So at least a hundred priests are standing up against 
the the authority of the of the Catholic Church and say we are going to do this anyway. Hmm. So for standing up for human rights and defying the authority of the bishops and the Pope, Jan Korditschke and the other priests behind the Liebe Gewinnt initiative get today's prize for being really right. Wow. I really like this one. Mm? That's like a bunch of heroes. Yeah, right. So <laughs> it's not easy to be the Pope. People are uh, rebelling <laughs> all over the place. Yeah, people should. Yeah, I think so. If things are not going the right way, then we have to stand up and do something about it. Yeah, and one of the problems with religion in general is that it tends to try to not develop. They have the truth already and you cannot contradict it. And it doesn't evolve and, and adapt to change to new information. Well, it has. Well, it has a little bit. Quite a bit. <laughs> I okay. mean, okay. But it's not their instinct mm -hmm. to do. I mean, yeah, like exactly. science tries to develop and tries to find new things to try to change. Yeah, it's in, in the DNA of science. I mean, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. But, uh, but religion tries to hold it back and say, no, we already know the truth. We know about God and don't contradict our Bible things like that and they try very hard to stick to a couple of things that they can hold steady but that that cannot be done with all all the things and this is how the church has always been pushed to the limits in terms of development because there were always things that you could not hold steady progress is inevitable you cannot avoid it for a long time but good very good on them yes <laughs> yes good news from the catholic church yeah this is what we needed. And you know what else we need before we go? A quote. A quote. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on the show a couple of times. I start to know the sort of uh, what's happening. Okay, good, good. <laughs> yeah, that's good to know. And who else would I bring a quote from but Edward Jenner? And what he said was... I hope that someday the practice of producing cowpox in human beings will spread over the world. When that day comes, there will be no more smallpox. Ah, predicting the future. That's one hallmark of, of uh, science, actually. Exactly, because we all know by now that in 1980, the WHO announced the eradication of smallpox from Earth. Yeah. And that is quite an achievement. Well, unfortunately, this will never happen with COVID. Doesn't seem like it. Because SARS-CoV-2 is too fast. I mean, with zoonoses, it barely ever happens that it's possible even to eradicate because it will develop too fast and new ones will come up. And unfortunately, this one mutates very fast. But with the vaccinations that Edward Jenner introduced as a method, we could still fight this thing mm. and... This is what we have to do. Yep. All right. But with that, uh, I'd like to thank you, Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. And many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And next week, hopefully, we will have Annika back. Goodbye. Hello. Bis lat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. 
We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe The late... Um, um, how late was he? <laughs> Hitch, hitch. Okay, say it again. The poke has been poked again. The so poke has been poked. The poke has you been said. poked. Is that what I said? You said the poke has been poked. Okay, never mind. Hey, do. All right. I almost forgot Good. the word hey, do. I had to think. Oh, this lad. <laughs> Kid, you mentioned you almost forgot. <laughs>